We've been going through the Ten Commandments, and he spoke um, last Sunday about honoring your parents. And he did a great job breaking that commandment down uh, for what that means, not only with children, but also for adults. Um, and he must have done a good job because I, I got a text afterwards from somebody who said, um, after the sermon was done, they texted me and said, I really need to call my dad. So anyway... Um, great job for him, um, did a fantastic job. We're so blessed to have Nathan and Autumn and everything they do in our Christian education. But before we jump into the last remaining, we got one commandment left, okay? And before we jump into this one, this one's a doozy, this is a big one. I think it's important to remember that the commandments are given as an invitation from God into a certain way of life, okay? God, God says no to some things. And this is good for us to remember because we look at these as rules and regulations that God wants to keep us from something. No, 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 no. God says no for some things so that he can give a yes to better things, right? What if we look at this as, as God's top 10 ways of helping us understand how to have a better life right here, right now? And the reason I say that, again, is because sometimes when we look at these commands in Scripture, or when we look at God's Word in general, we, all, we might look at it as though it's negative. And that's not the case, right? Well, what if all of these things, all these ways that God asks us to live and abide by, what, what if these things are really positive? Helping us live in a better way, right? Helping us understand, maybe, just maybe, what it means to live in God's kingdom right here, right now. As though his kingdom were here on this earth. Right? It makes sense. And let's review, and I'll kind of point out what I mean. Number, The first one is to worship God first. Like, life is better when our relationship with God is strong, right? We can all agree with that. Number two was no idols. Life is better when our relationships with him is strong and we don't have relationships with other things that just pull us away, right? Distract our attention from him. Number three, don't take his name in vain. Life is better when our words match what's in our heart, right? We, we guard our hearts because what's in here tends to come out here. Life is better when our words honor him. Number four is to take a Sabbath. God cares for you. Life is better when we rest and we take a minute to worship him. Number five is honor father and mother. Nathan went over this last week, right? Life is better when we learn to honor one another. Number six is don't murder. And on the surface, this looks easy. Okay, I'm not going to murder. But Jesus takes this a step further and he says you shouldn't hate anyone, right? And we can all agree life is better when we don't hate others, but we choose to love them. Number seven is the one that we're dealing with today. Number eight is don't steal. Number nine is don't lie. And number 10 is don't covet. And all these focus on your neighbor, right? We said that lying, stealing, and coveting, that's all selfish behavior on our part. And it's not about us at all, but rather life is better when we don't lie to make ourselves look better, when we don't steal what's not ours, when we don't covet what somebody else has because we believe they have the blessings that I deserve, right? So, in summary, what we've been talking about through all of these is that God knows what's best for us, right? That's why he gives us his commands. That's why he gives us his word, right? It's out of love. And that leads us to commandment number seven. And you know which one this one is? Okay, like I said, it's a doozy. You know, we just finished, last time I was up here two weeks ago, I uh, preached on murder, right? And so it's always kind of funny because after the service, I always get the typical nice sermon preacher. And somebody came up to me and was like, nice sermon on murder preacher. And I was like, <laughs> sounds kind of weird, but okay. Um, 
But we go from one controversial subject to another. We jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. Congratulations on being in church for another hot topic. Here we go. Let's jump into this commandment. And we're going to begin this message today by reading the commandment first. And then we're going to give some applications that will apply to everyone who's in here. So, Exodus 20, 14, commandment number seven. It says this, you must not commit adultery. Okay, pretty straightforward here, right? And you know, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about this. I began to wonder, like, is this topic really necessary? Like, you know, I wonder if stepping out of marriage is something that we really need to focus on. But you know what? The statistics that are out there are overwhelming, but not just that, not just that. Sex outside of marriage, okay? Not just cheating, but any of that activity outside of marriage is glorified in everything we see, right? It's in every advertisement. It's in everything you read. It's everything you watch. And as your pastor, I want you to know that you'll find a better life Right? You'll have better relationships. You'll have better love within your relationships if you choose to follow God's word. Like if you choose to follow his commands. So it's good for us to talk about it. It really is good because what you're getting is you're getting the opposite view from everything else around you. And what I want to do is I want to give you some positive examples. Positive examples that come from a committed relationship and following God's plan. For your life. Now, before we get into this, two things real quick. Number one, please know the purpose of this message is not to resurrect your past. Okay, if you have confessed a sin to God, then God has forgiven it. God has released it. So if you're holding on to guilt that's been forgiven, that, that guilt is not from God. Okay, that guilt that we hold on to, that's from Satan. Satan wants to hold us and keep us back. Do not let Satan steal your joy. Remember, the Bible says that he is a great thief, right? So trust, trust as we celebrate a communion, as we look ahead to what Jesus did to remove the sin in our lives, trust that when you ask for forgiveness, that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins, right? And we trust in that, and we move forward in his strength. Second thing is I realize that not everybody in here is married. And you're probably thinking to yourself, great, like, of all the Sundays to be here, what am I supposed to get out of this, man, this, uh, this talk this morning? So, most of these points of what we're going to talk about this morning, these are applicable outside of marriage, okay? In fact, you can use these points that we're going to talk about today towards any temptation, anything out there that draws your attention away from God, okay? And who knows, maybe God's plan for you is marriage in your future, and you can remember these points. Or maybe God's plan for you is to help a married couple, and you can remember these points. Or maybe God's help uh, wants to help you with a temptation that you're struggling with right now, and you can use these points. So I'm glad that you're here. So let's talk about how to protect our marriages, but also how to protect ourselves from temptation in general. Okay, so let's fill in some blanks. Number one, we're going to dive right into it. Number one is to make a commitment. If you brought your message notes, go ahead and pull those out. We can fill in some blanks. If you're online, you can find those message notes on the app as well. Number one is to make a commitment. Make a commitment to following God's word. Regardless of your past, 
Regardless of your failures, what you're going to say today is say, I'm going to make a commitment to maintain God's standards. Okay, so that means that that you agree with what Scripture teaches you, right? With what God's Word says about those things that tend to pull us away from God. And since, since we're in commandment number seven, when it comes to this topic of sex, let me remind you what the Bible says about this. It says that it's for marriage only. Let me... Let me say that again. Sex is for marriage only, okay? Because of what it represents, because of the bond that's being formed. And I know so many people, when they hear this topic, and I know everybody's kind of antsy even talking about this today, and, it's, but and everybody's like, but, but we live in such a different time, you know? It's just different today. God's word is timeless. And his word is very clear on this. Hebrews 13 says this. It says, marriage should be honored by all and marriage, the marriage bed kept pure. You know, while I'm on this subject of normalizing sinful behavior, do you know what drives me crazy is when it comes to this subject, we just assume as adults that young people are going to give in to temptation, right? Parents and community as a whole, just tend to kind of like give it an okay because society has deemed it okay. So therefore, we're just in a different time. Who cares? They're just being young. You see, I think it's different. Like I, I think that we need to help them, help our children, help our, help our young people, no matter what their age is, help them understand what God's word teaches and why it's important. And then not only help them understand what God's word said, but then help them make that commitment to following God's word. Because, because if I were to ask you, right, if you believe that God's word is true, everybody in here, even if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here for the first time, welcome to the Ridge on this Sunday. <laughs> Glad you're here, right? Hope you come back next week, right? I'm just going to get this talk out of the way. But you, you, you might have a different, but, but everybody that's a Christian, that's a Christ follower, if I ask you, do you believe what God's word said is true, you would all say, yes, I do. And then if I were to ask you, do you believe that a pure life is a better life? If I were to ask any parent in here for your child, do you believe a pure life is a better life for you? Yes, yes, I do. Like, I want that for them. If I were to ask you in your relationships and how you live, do you believe that a pure life is better? Yes, I do. We will all agree because that's where the blessing is, right? That's how we get into a close relationship with God. That's the kind of life that God can pour into, right? So what we need to do is we need to make a commitment, a commitment to God's standards. There's this uh, great story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, y'all all know his story and being thrown in the well and then being sold. But did you know that there's a story where he is seduced in the book of Genesis? He had, and he had every reason to give in to this. Because of society, because of temptation. He could have looked at this moment in life and he said, you know, I'm young, I'm single, I'm in a foreign country, I'm not married yet, who's going to care, nobody's really going to know. Or, because of all the trauma that he had faced, he could have blamed it on that. He could have justified these actions by saying, you know, I was beaten when I was little, they threw me in the well, and then I was sold into slavery, and my mother died. But he didn't do that. 
Even though most would have said it's okay, instead what he says when he found himself in this situation, Genesis 39, 9, he says this, I won't sin. I'm not going to sin against God by doing such a terrible thing. And when he came to this realization, when he, when he remembered his commitment to God, this lady was holding on to him so tightly that he ran away. When he did, she yanked his clothes off his body and he went running down the street in the skimpies. I'm not lying, that is actually in the Bible. You see, the bachelorette isn't the only one that has those crazy stories on TV, people. This is actually in your, this is why you should read your Bible, right? But he gets in this situation and you can put this with any temptation. He gets into the situation, kind of overwhelms him, and he looks at this and he goes, I made a commitment. I'm not going to sin against God. You know, when it comes to those temptations that we face in life, no matter what that temptation is, don't let there be a doubt when it comes to your commitment to God. Don't let there be a doubt in your commitment to your spouse or a doubt in your commitment to best practices at work or how loyal you are in your commitments with other people, giving your yes, letting be your yes. You know, maybe we should look at these things that tempt us, that want to draw us further away from God. And we say, I'm not going to sin. I've made a commitment. I'm going to stick to it. Because I know that that's God, that, that's what God would want for me. Number two, what we got to do is we got to magnify the consequences. We got to magnify the consequences. Let me put it this way. When it comes to counting calories, how many of you have heard this phrase? A moment on the lips is a lifetime on the hips. You got it. You know that phrase, right? Not necessarily correct, right? Well, I mean, it's debate. No, it's not correct, Right? But what it does, like if I have one bite of a crumble cookie today, it's not going to live with me forever. But what it does is it magnifies the consequences, right? Maybe we should do that when it comes to the temptations we face. Because oftentimes, what happens is when we step outside of God's will, whatever it is, we take one step, and then another step, and then another step. And before we know it, there's some pretty damaging consequences. Let me give you a verse to think about. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says this. It says, but those who chase riches are constantly falling into temptation and snares. They are regularly caught by their own stupid and harmful desires, dragged down and pulled under into ruin and destruction. Listen, this verse is starting off with riches, but I think you could put any kind of temptation in there because what happens is we give in to those desires, we get dragged down into destruction, and it sounds menacing. But sometimes that's kind of the mindset we need to have. And to let you see that this is true for any temptation we face that's out there, let me take you to another, te- uh, another story in the Old Testament. Y'all remember Esau? Remember Jacob and Esau? And do you remember how he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew? He gave up something so important for something as insignificant as a bowl of stew. Talk about living in the moment. Talk about being guided by your feelings, which we'll get to in a minute. But you know this. And I know this. I know people that have actually sold their life away or their time away for a brief moment. And it's not worth it. 
Let me bring you back to marriage for just a minute. I remember when I was in seminary, I had an ethics um, teacher where we had to take this class. And he, he told us that he gave this reason to his wife on why he would always remain faithful. And he told her this. He said, never would I ever, because I realized that the short-term pleasure will be overshadowed by the long-term destruction. Sounds kind of like a Sheldon Big Bang Theory kind of explanation. Not a whole lot of feeling there. That's not what she wanted to hear. She wasn't very happy with that. She wanted to hear because he loved her, and of course he does, but he's trying to say, listen, I've played this out, like in my mind, I've magnified the consequences, and I know that this isn't. It's not, nothing is worth that. Again, he magnified those costs. And let me tell you, friends, anytime we step outside of God's will, whatever it is, whatever the temptation is, the cost is always higher than we think. Always, everybody loses. And that's the reason that God provides us these top 10. That's the reason that God gives us his instructions, right? He's like, listen, I have these parameters. I have these guidelines. This is where I want you to stay. If you want a better life, here you go. I've provided that for you to protect us. It's almost like God is saying, I want to spare you from the pain, right? So maybe the next time you're facing that temptation, whatever that temptation is, whatever that is in your life, maybe play it out, right? Play it out, because chances are it's not going to end well, and it's not what God would want for you. Now, since we're dealing with the seventh commandment, let's Look at point number three. Point number three is this. For everybody who's married, you got to maintain your marriage. you got to maintain your marriage. you got to work on it. And y'all, it takes work, right? Then if you're committed to growing your relationship with your spouse, then it will reduce the pull and the attraction of anything that might try to separate you. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul puts it this way. Marriage is a decision to serve the other. We are called to serve one another. And guess what I've learned over 25 years of being married? His needs and her needs are not always the same needs. Shocker, right? Right? He's different and she's different. And that's okay. That's a good thing. God made us different. That's all part of God's plan. It's amazing. When Shannon and I were dating, we were like, oh my gosh, we are so much alike. <laughs> this is so And then we got married and we were like, we are nothing alike. <laughs> Who are you? Right? And we had a hard time starting out 21, 22 years old trying to, you know, figure each other out. And we were frustrated because we didn't really understand the importance of serving one another. We didn't understand the other person's needs like we should. So what's the solution? What do we do? we got to get serious about learning what our spouse needs. And then we got to be determined to put their needs ahead of our wants. That's the key. That's the key to a successful relationship in marriage. Ephesians 5, go read it. Husbands, wives, mutual submission, serving one another, each one trying to outdo the other in service. Even if their needs don't make sense to you. Even if it really doesn't make your list at all. Like showing affection, it might be hard for you, but they really need it. Or, or sharing kind words might be hard for you, but they really need it. Giving a few gifts every now and then might not mean anything to, do, to you, but they lose their mind when you do it for them, right? See the need and meet the need. 
So a lot of people might be sitting there and saying to themselves, you know, I really don't know what it is they need. How, how do I understand what they need? There's one surefire way to learn more about the needs of your spouse, to maintain a better marriage. How do you learn more? How do you become better friends? Time. Time together. Time together. There's many answers out there, but I want to say, put in the time to be together because time is what we all struggle with. We all get pulled away. We all have so much going on in our lives. But dates and lunches together. Vacations for just the two of you. Can I get an amen for vacations without kids? Amen, right? right? I mean, I love my kids, right? Of course, we love our kids, right? But it's hard to work on time when all you ever hear are mama, 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 daddy, 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 the whole time, right? Time together. Maintain your marriage. Spend time with each other. Find out what the needs are. Serve one another. Make an effort. Make an effort in your relationships. We should work to keep our lawn so green that it would make everybody else's brown by comparison. All right, let's jump back into temptation just in general. Number four. Number four is this. I got to manage my mind. I got to manage my mind. Y'all, this is so important when it just comes to any temptation we face. Here's the deal. A lot of people like to say that the things that get them or that trap them or they get sucked into just kind of happen. They'll just be like, preacher, I just, this big thing happened in my life and I just kind of, I didn't know what was happening and I just kind of did it and now I'm, you know, now I'm in trouble. You got to believe me. I didn't know. Every now and then that may happen, but I don't believe that that's the case. I don't buy that for most things because I believe there's a process. There's a process by, we, where, by which we give into temptation. Let me walk through that. One, step number one, and you can just write this off on the side of your notes, is we accept sinful thoughts. We gotta manage our minds. Number one is that we accept those sinful thoughts. The battle for temptation, it starts up here. It starts in our mind. What you tend to think about all the time is what you'll eventually start to feel. This affects this. James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way. He said, temptation is the pool of a person's own evil thoughts and wishes. This is where it starts. What you're dwelling on, what you're thinking about. And which, then those evil thoughts lead to what? They lead to the actions. And we'll get to the actions in just a minute, but it starts in your mind. So maybe when it comes to a temptation that we face that we're struggling with that is pulling us away from God's desire in our life, we got to begin by asking, what am I dwelling on? What am I thinking about? Maybe we start analyzing what we're watching on TV all the time, what we're looking at on the computer all the time, where we're hanging out all the time. Those types of things matter. What are we thinking about? Because what we think about, what we're allowing in here, goes to step number two. And we get this emotional involvement. Step number two can be a temptation for anything in life because our emotions get so easily attached to things, not just people, but to things. We get emotionally attached to these things. Why? Because we've been thinking about it all the time. And those feelings, believe you me, your feelings will lead you astray. And this happens too when it comes, if we go back to marriage, it happens in marriage too because people will get into something and will say, well, as long as nothing physical is happening, then I'm okay. But there's this emotional attachment, right? 
that happens, that pulls us further away. And this happens with things in life too. And then once we get that emotional involvement, you know what happens next? We begin to rationalize it. You know, we're thinking about it all the time. It's got this emotional feel. And then suddenly we're like, we're, we're saying to ourselves, what's the big deal? It doesn't really matter. Who cares really? And what we'll do is we'll deceive ourselves. Jeremiah, the prophet, he puts it this way about our hearts. He says a human heart, those emotions we feel, is more dishonest than anything else. Your feelings can and will lead you astray. We're a pro at allowing that to deceive us and convince ourselves of just about anything. So we got to manage our minds, what we're taking in and what we're allowing to impact our hearts. And then the fifth thing we got to do is we got to minimize the opportunities. We got to minimize those opportunities that are around us. Listen, if you don't want to get stung, stay away from bees, right? And I, I, I used this illustration a while back, but people tell me all the time, and Clay tells me this all the time, you can actually tell the difference between a poisonous and a non-poisonous snake, uh, and, and it's something about the head, right? The shape of the head. But that means that I have to get close enough to see the shape of the head, and that's not happening, I don't want to get bit either way, right? So I will minimize my interaction by running away in the opposite direction. I don't care what you think about me either. We'll stay away from it. So when it comes to those things in life, do not place yourself in those situations where you know you're going to get bit, where you know that temptation is. Recognize those circumstances that weaken your standards. Be aware of them. 1 Corinthians, Paul Puts it this way. He says, don't be so naive and self-confident. You, you, be careful. Be careful. Because you could fall flat on your face as easily as anybody else. You need to put up safeguards. You need to be aware of those situations. And still, I know when, you, when we talk about this subject, this subject is, is always interesting to dive into in church, of course. But still, there are people that look at this conversation and they're like, I don't really have to worry about any of this. Like, I don't really have any temptations that are really bugging me. Or, you know, I've been married for so long. I don't, you know, we're fine. But, you know, don't be so self-confident. Put up some safeguards. Minimize the opportunities. I, I remember sitting in a pastor's office a long time ago, back when I was newly married. I was 21, 22. I was a young buck. And... He was going over with me the standards that he put in place to minimize the opportunities for any kind of temptation around him. I remember sitting here thinking about, like, looking at him as a 22-year-old, and I told him, I actually said, I don't have to worry about any of that. And he looked at me and he said, that's exactly why you need to worry about that. Don't be so self-confident. Satan's out there. He'd not, like nothing more than to trip us up. So it's good. It's good to put up safeguards. So what does that look like? What does it look like when we talk about minimizing the opportunities? You know, it might be like when you're traveling and you're traveling alone. Put up safeguards around you that will keep the standards of what you know you should be doing. I heard another pastor, he was talking on this subject, and he said anytime he travels alone, he'll go into the hotel room and he'll turn on ESPN and then he'll walk outside and put the um, remote control in the hallway. <laughs> And he'll leave it out there. And I was like, mm, that's a little much, but hey, you do you, right? He's putting safeguards up. When it comes to friends, 
What am I doing to minimize those opportunities that might lead towards temptation? Because Scripture says that bad company can corrupt good character. Make sure that your friends share those same values. When it, when it comes to the office, how, what you're doing and how you're doing it, the work that you are presenting, make sure you're putting up those safeguards so that you're not tempted to cut a corner or to cheat the system. I know everybody else might be doing it. I know it might seem okay, but that's not you. That's not the standard God has called for you. You know, there are so many things that we could do, so many different routes that we could take, but the point is, is to minimize those opportunities. So y'all, I'm running out of time. And as we wrap up with this, these are just a few things to think about when it comes to marriage in general, and I hope everybody was able to get something out of this just when it comes to temptation. And let me just say this, when it comes to those temptations we face, whatever that temptation may be, we're all just trying to walk through life together. Right? None of us are perfect. We don't have this thing figured out, and we all stumble along the path at times. Thank goodness, thank God for his grace and forgiveness and mercy that was demonstrated on the cross for us so that we can have an opportunity to start again. So you know what? Maybe you've struggled with the temptation, and that temptation just seems to have a grip on you like that story of Joseph. Jesus loves you, And he wants to give you the strength you need to live for him. He wants to give you a better way if you ask him. When it comes to commandment number seven, maybe this kind of hits close to your home and your relationship could use a fresh start. Jesus wants to help you with that. And the good news of the Easter message is that Jesus brings new life and he wants that for you and he wants that for your marriage. I really believe it. Or maybe your relationship is going well. And you just want to keep it on the right track. God wants to give you strength to live that life that he has for you. Pray for his wisdom. In fact, let's do that now. Let's, let's all just pray for help as we try to live this life that God has called for us. God, we thank you. We thank you for your commands. We thank you for looking out for us. We thank you for loving us. And God, we thank you for wanting the best for us. So God... Help us, no matter where we are in life, no matter what age we are, the temptation that we face. There's temptation all around us, God. And all that temptation wants to do is pull us away from you. So God, whatever that temptation may be in our lives, God, just be with us. Give us the wisdom we need. Give us the strength we need to follow your will. And God, since we're talking about this commandment today, I pray for marriages. God, I pray that you would be glorified in all our relationships, that when people see the commitment between the husbands and wives at this church, that they would sense the same commitment that you have and the same love that you have for your church. God, that's what we are in our marriages. We are a shining example of the same love and commitment that you have for us. God, let us be that great picture for you. God, I pray for strong marriages. I pray for strong families. And God, I just pray for a strong witness in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.